Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. This morning, back to the basics. Just getting back, I thought we needed to spend a few weeks of just talking about getting back to the basics of what it really means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, because according to surveys that have been done, it's like 70-some percent of the people claim to be uh, god Fearing Christians living, a, you know, they claim to be Christian, but as you look around the world, it is quite ob- obvious that that there's no way that can be true. So apparently, somebody doesn't quite know for sure what it means to really be a Christian. So I thought we need to break this down and talk about it. And we've talked about what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus, uh, what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus. Last week we uh, talked about the privileges of membership in the family of God. And I want to close this particular series out uh, speaking about this particular word, which is worship, and how we should all live a life of worship, because we were actually created to do one thing. You know what that is? Oh, some of you are great guessers, but it was a little bit weak. We were talking about worship, so that should have been a real sign that you could jump in there and not embarrass yourself. We're all created to do what? Oh, man, everybody got smart all of a sudden there. Boy, you blew me away. We've been created to worship God. And worship is, it's a lot more than just singing a few songs at the beginning of church service. Worship is actually all about how we literally live our lives. Worship, uh, if you ask a room full of people to give you a definition of worship, you'll probably get several different answers so we need to look at this and, and look at how the Bible defines worship because I want to tell you this, everybody, say that, everybody worships something. Every, whether they realize it or not, I am telling you, every single person worships something. Everybody worships. Even atheists worship you may not get them to admit it, but even they worship. If you don't think an atheist worship, you just whack them in the toe with a big hammer. You'll hear them speak of God almost immediately. Everybody worships something. Some people worship idols. Some people worship wealth and, and possessions. Some people worship their jobs. Some people worship celebrities or athletes. And there's a whole bunch of people that worship themselves. They're very busy doing it. But what does the Bible say about worship? What is God looking for when he invites us to come and worship him? So I want us to look at three questions and answer three particular questions this morning. They are, one, what is worship? Two, why should I worship? And the third one, how do I worship? I got him out of order, didn't I? What is worship? Yeah, you know what I mean. So let's begin by, let's define worship. And since I have the microphone, I, I'm the one that gets to do that. That's how this works. Here's, here's the definition of worship. It comes from a very old, old word, and that word is worthscripe. Worthscripe. Has anyone ever even heard that word before? Worthscripe. It means, here's what the word means, to declare worth or value. 
Now, when you hear that, it begins to make a little more sense of what worship in our life really is. It's to declare worth or value. So when we worship God, what we are actually doing is we are declaring His worth. But that leads to another question, which is what is God worth to us? What is God worth to you? What is His value in your particular life? Because here is, here is a truth that I have found to be true, not sometimes, not part of the time, not even most of the time. Here is a truth that is true all the time. And it is this. You will only worship God to the extent that you value Him. Now think about it for a minute because it's absolute truth. Your worship of God is never going to surpass his worth to you or his value to you. And, and this is true also. Once you discover his immeasurable worth in your life, you're going to want to have, you'll have a desire to express his worth to you, to worship him. Not just by singing a few songs or raising your hands in church. You will want to express your worship by Him by the way you live your life day in and day out. Your worship of God will begin to flow out of everything that you do. Now how, you can tell, I'm, right off, I'm just telling you, you can tell how a person worships by the way they live their life, right? It's not that we're being judgmental, I'm just saying you can tell. You can tell what a person worships by the decisions that they make, by the values that they have in their life, by the way they talk and the way they think, and by the way they spend their time and their money. You can tell what someone worships. It's very evident in our life. It's, it's, it's no big secret. And all of these things that I just mentioned, are, are, they create a very accurate reflection of what's going on inside of us and and all of the things that we really place value on in our life. So real, true worship is about a lot more than just coming to church on Sunday. Just because we become or we come to church on Sunday does not necessarily mean we will be worshiping. Walking into a house of worship does not mean we will absolutely worship, right? Now I'm just telling you, how many of you would raise your hand and say, there have been times I have come into the house of worship and when I left, I just sensed in my spirit, I really didn't worship. I'm your pastor and I've got my hand up. That ought to, I mean, even preachers, sometimes we come in on a Sunday morning and we've just got so much on our mind and we're trying to clear it out and make space for what we know is really important. And then uh, we preach a sermon, we leave and we think, you know, man, I just kind of did that out of habit. Before I ever, it happens. We try not to let it happen. But just like before I ever started speaking from a pulpit, there were times I'd come into church and, you know, I could raise my hands and sing the songs. And I mean, but worshiping God was not really on my mind. And it's, uh, it's, it's like a marriage. There, there is a relationship here. There's a public side and a private side to this relationship. And, and like in our marriages, we act like everything's, sometimes you can act like everything is perfectly great, you know, but when you get home and you know for a fact, things are far from great. So we need to talk about how to live out a life of worship because that is what God has created and called us 
to do. So we need to look at what all that means. In John chapter 4, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. thing. I'm just going to give you a little summary here. The fourth chapter of John is this conversation that Jesus is having with a Samaritan woman. And not just any Samaritan woman. This woman was a complete outcast of society. She was pretty much viewed as a, as a prostitute. And it's interesting, isn't it, that God has such deep and great compassion and concern for those who are outcast. And a very interesting, I've, I think it's interesting, piece of Bible trivia is that this particular conversation with this outcast of society is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has in the Bible. I think that's interesting, don't you? I mean, you would think maybe his longest recorded conversation would be with one of the disciples or some religious leader. But no, his longest conversation that we know of recorded in the Bible is with this very, very unlikely woman talking about a pretty unlikely subject. They're talking about worship. And here's what this woman says to Jesus. She says, my people say that we're supposed to worship on that mountain, but your people say we're supposed to worship in the temple. So, you know, who's right? And here's what Jesus said in verse 23. He said, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So that verse is pretty easy to read, but let's break it down because what in the world exactly does it mean? They'll say they'll worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit, first of all? Well, God is spirit, right? He is spirit. And so in order to worship him, we have to worship in spirit. Worship isn't just outward. It has to be even more inward. It should never be uh, just form. It's not about form. It's more about function is what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say. So it, it shouldn't be just form or ceremony, something we do out of habit. But boy, it's easy, it's easy to fall into that. It should be our worship of God should always be a direct reflection of what's really going on in our lives. Coming to church does not make us worshipers. Don't shout me down on that one. Coming to church doesn't make us a worshiper. It certainly helps. It puts us in a place where it's so easy to worship, doesn't it? It's very healthy for us to be around fellow worshipers. But it doesn't, coming to church doesn't make us a worshiper any more than spending $400 on a pair of basketball shoes is going to make us an NBA player. Right? But people try it. They think it's going to happen. No, it's not. We, we can sing all the songs and, and pray our prayers, go through all the motions and still be completely checked out on the inside. You can have your hands raised. Uh, I'm, I'm sure this is. I'm sure no one here has ever done this, but I've heard of people that, that they can be singing uh, praise songs, have their hands raised up, singing at the top of their lungs. But they're really what they're thinking, what's going on inside. Man, I hope he's not going to preach a long time. I am hungry, and I just want to get home and take a nap. I'm tired. There's there's people that have done that sort of thing. Can you imagine? 
I've done it. Sometimes I'm preaching. I'm thinking, would you just shut up and let's go home? I'm tired of hearing you talk. And that's me, so I know you've done it. You can't fool me. That's not worship in spirit, though, is it? It's also not worshiping in truth. We've got our hands raised and we're singing, you know, Lord, I worship you, but we're thinking about how hungry or tired we are. That is not being truthful with God. The funny thing is, there's no fooling God. The only person you might be fooling is yourself and a few people around you. That's as far as it goes. You're not fooling the one that really, really counts. But here's something interesting about truthful worship. Truthful worship means that you can share with God anything that you're feeling or thinking when you come before Him. He's big enough to handle it. Sometimes people feel guilty if they're like uh, letting God know how they really feel. Well, here's the thing. He already knows how you really feel. He just wants you to be honest about it. And you can even do that in a time of worship. In fact, in Psalms, a book of worship written by David If you'll read through that, you will notice several times right in the middle of his worship, what he's actually doing is complaining to God. But he's being very truthful in how he feels. Because with God, you can't fool him anyway, so why try, right? If you're in a crisis today and you've been looking for God, the best thing you can do is just stop and begin to worship him. Because as soon as you begin to worship him, he will come find you. You know, if a shepherd is any kind of shepherd at all, and he hears a sheep lost out in a thicket somewhere, and he hears it, the first thing, he's not going to sit there and say, well, that dumb sheep took off. This ought to teach him a good lesson. That's not what a good shepherd does. The good shepherd, mental, I I hear a sheep in trouble, and he goes and he gets it. And that is the mental word picture that we should have of God our Father. When He hears us calling out His name, He comes to us. It's automatic. What God wants most from you in worship is you. That's pretty simple. And here's a truth that a lot of people get backwards. And sometimes we've probably all been guilty of this. Sometimes we worship because we think we're doing it for God's benefit. Well, God is God, you know, I better give him a little worship. But the truth is, worshiping God is not for his benefit, it is for our benefit. Worship is for our benefit. God is the most powerful being in all of creation. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and none of that will change whether you decide to worship him or not. You realize that? If you decide to worship him, out-worship him by everybody else, and I mean you just, boy, you're a monster worshiper, you will not increase his power or knowledge or strength one iota. Therefore, we have to understand this this whole thing of worship. It has to be for our benefit, not his benefit, because he's not going to change no matter what we do. The only person who's going to change by what we do is us. So does that make sense? Worship is not for God's benefit. It is for our benefit. He wants us to worship him because he knows it benefits us. And he's all about that. 
And there's a principle that is, that is really at work here throughout worship. You see it in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Psalms 22.3 this, says this, speaking of God, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Now you need to let that sink in. You are holy, you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. How many of you know every kingdom has a king? That's why it's a kingdom. Every kingdom has a king. Every king has a kingly throne to sit upon. So this, is, this verse here is saying that our praises make up his throne. And there's another verse in Isaiah that really ties into this nicely, I think. It says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, we need to create this word picture here. Isaiah said, I saw God. He was sitting on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The temple is a place of worship, right? And what is the train of a robe? It's, it's the bottom part, right? It can go to just the ground or it can go way beyond. It's, it's the hem or the bottom of it. And so this picture is the bottom of his robe is completely encompassed the temple. That's what he saw. And so that being the case, we have the Lord sitting enthroned on the praises of his people, and it means that if we worship God with our words and our life, we bring ourselves under that covering of his robe. We become, we, we gain the covering of that, and therefore we become, through our worship, part of that throne that is holding him up. His throne is built on the praises of his people. So, we bring ourselves under that covering. We are under his throne of protection and his throne of grace. Is there anyone here that does not need God's grace? We all need it, right? I'm your pastor, and contrary to popular opinion, even I need grace. I am not perfect. Do you find that shocking? I know you find that shocking, right? Just shake your head and work with me here a little bit. You, you get your eyes big. Act like you're shocked. No, I'm not. If you, don't, if you think I'm perfect, you just you talk to my wife sometime and she'll tell you all of my imperfections if you've got the time. <laughs> you have to make that call yourself. We all need God's grace, right? And everything that we need in life, strength, courage, wisdom, health, peace, uh, mercy, forgiveness, these are all gifts of God's grace in our life. And it's available at the throne of God. All we have to do is bring ourselves underneath that throne by offering up our worship of Him. It happens automatically. We submit our lives to Him. And that's an interesting word. The word submit. Do you know what the word submit actually means? It means to stand under. And doesn't that help create this mental picture of we are standing under the robe of God. We are creating this throne that he sits upon. When we worship God, we stand under his throne and it makes available to us his grace. Now here's a quote I heard some, I don't know who said this, but I've, I've always liked it. 
This is, this is great truth, and it, it's this. The grace of God is always available to us. We're just not always available to His grace. Do you get that? His grace is always available to us, but sometimes we make ourselves unavailable to His grace through our lack of worship. We're too busy putting something else first in our life, and it removes us from experiencing His grace. And as soon as we stop experiencing His grace in life, things start to go horribly, horribly south, right? It's just, I'm telling you, that's how it happens. So we have to bring ourselves into subjection through our worship of God. Sometimes we just have to stop and, and say, God, you are indeed God. I'm not. Because sometimes we act like we think we are, right? We act like we think we've got all the answers. We think, I'll, I think I've got some pretty, I'll try all of my answers, and if they don't work, then maybe I'll ask God. How many times have we been guilty of, of that? But we need to just say, God, you are God. I, I, I'm not. You've got all this figured out. I don't. You are greater than me, and I want to live my life under your authority. And so there's some choices we have to make. Worship aligns me with the throne of grace. So here's the decision. Do you need God's grace in your life? You've got to decide that. Are you facing some crisis that maybe you could use some help with? You've tried all your answers and so far nothing's really working. You can stand firm in your pride if you want to and just keep saying, look, I don't need anybody else. I can handle it all myself. I, I can make my own rules. I've got the answers. I can be my own boss, set my own agenda. And then you can, I promise you, spend the rest of your life floundering your way through life from one crisis to the next. Or you can submit your life to God through your worship of Him and begin to let His grace cover you and guide you and protect you. But it's you get to make the choice. Real worship is an act of humility. It's humbling ourselves. Worship equals humility. It is impossible to worship God and be all proud at the same time. It doesn't, work, it doesn't go together. A proud, a prideful man praises himself. A humble man recognizes the value of God and the worth of him and, and also recognizes the worth and value of people around him. Listen to what James 4, 6 is pretty black and white. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So it's a choice you get to make. You can resist God and have no help from him whatsoever or you can be humble and he's going to give you grace in your life. I think the latter sounds like the better deal, don't you? I mean, do you want God to resist you? I do not recommend that. It's a tough life. I don't think any of us can afford that. Pride, here's another great quote. I wish it was mine. Pride is a grace repellent. Humility is a grace magnet. Pride is a grace repellent. Humility is a grace magnet. You start putting other people ahead of yourself and God's grace is just going to start to flow into your life. But if you, and I'm telling you itself, number one, and everything revolves around you, 
God is resisting you, and I'm telling you, it makes for a lousy lifetime. Tough, tough, tough. Come with humility, offer your worship to God, and He covers you with His grace. That's a great deal. The question number two was, how should I worship? Well, this is interesting. There is a definitive starting point whenever we worship God. Worship of God should always begin with two words. Does anyone want to venture a guess? It's a good thing you showed up this morning then. Those two words are, thank you. Our worship of God begins with two simple words, thank you. But sometimes it's, it's, easiest to for, it's easy for us to forget that. It's easy, as, easy for us to forget all of the unbelievable blessings that we have received from God. And sometimes we just forget to start our worship with thank you. Because how many of us have, you don't have to raise your hand on this. How many of us have ever been guilty of, boy, praying and, oh, just travailing before God because we have this huge mountain in our life in front of us, and how are we going to, no, we're just praying to God. And the moment God does something miraculous in our lives, instead of immediately following that with thank you, thank you, thank you, we follow it with the next crisis that's on the list, the crisis du jour. Worship always begins with thank you. How do we know that? Listen to Psalms 100 verse 4. Enter his gates with what? With thank- Enter his gates with thanksgiving. When you come before the Lord, you better waltz, be waltzing in there saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, not give me, give me, give me. That's kind of the Doug Roberts interpretation of that particular scripture. I see it went over like gangbusters. When we come before God, it should be thank you, thank you, thank you, not give me, give me, give me. Amen? Can I get a couple amens on that? It says, give thanks to him and praise his name. And that here's why a grateful heart is so important. Because gratitude, a heart of gratitude, it just kind of forces us to stop and look at our life and be thankful for all that God has done for us. And it kind of makes us take this personal inventory of all the blessings in our life that God has provided for us. And that's important. When you stop and begin to really look at what God has done for you, you really begin to discover who God is and how powerful He really is. Just thank Him for all the things He's done and simply praise Him for who He is. God's actions always demonstrate who He is. He's our Savior because He saves. It's a good thing we're not having a pop quiz this morning. He's our healer because he, oh, see, you thought you were smart. That's, not, that's the wrong answer. No, I'm just kidding. That was the right answer. He's our provider because he, he's our counselor because he counsels. He guides us. These are all names of God. He gives us strength and courage because he's our comforter. A thankful heart reminds us of who God is. And once we recognize who God really is, then we're never afraid or we're never hesitant to invite Him into any situation of our life that we may be dealing with. There are so many ways that we can offer our worship to God. Obviously, we worship Him through song. We know that. We begin every service here with songs to the Lord because in the Bible, there's over 700 verses telling us to sing unto the Lord. Did you realize that? 
Singing to God is obviously important to him, whether you think you can sing or not. It is important to God, and he delights in our singing, no matter how bad or how good we are. He delights in it. It shows him that we are worshiping him. But it doesn't stop there. We worship God through our, our prayer. Prayer itself is an act of worship. It's an act of humility. It's saying, God, I'm coming before you because you are greater than me. Uh, Lord, I'm wanting to, you, to involve you in my life in this area because I know you are so much greater than me. That is an act of humility. Amen? When we pray to God, we are declaring that we believe he is who he says he is and that he can handle whatever issue it is that we're bringing to him, which he can. We study, we, we uh, worship God by studying his word. It's kind of what we're doing now, but we do it even in a more in-depth uh, pace on, in life groups, which is why we want you all to be part of a life group. We worship God by telling others about him. And what he's done for us. That's a part of worshiping God. Being people of good character and good integrity is a form of worship. It has to do with how we're living our life. And we worship God, like Pastor Todd said a little bit earlier, we worship God through our giving. You know, how, we, what, how and what we give of our time and our energy and our money, it shows God how much we really do worship him. Or if we're worshiping something else, it shows him. It shows him how much value we really place on him versus how much value we place on ourselves. And God is so generous. You know, when it comes to tithing, his word says, you give me back 10% out of the hundred. That's a pretty generous God, right? Man, that's... That beats any dictator that's ever lived in life. That's a really good deal. Tithes and our offerings are an expression of worship. It's showing God the value that we place on him. It's a way of saying, God, I want to thank you for meeting all of my needs. And I know, I know that everything I have comes from you. It's because of you. And we come to that third question, why should I worship God? The Bible tells us many times, give thanks unto the Lord and call upon his name. You've heard that spoken before, right? Just call upon the name of the Lord. I want, to, I want us to look at that phrase for a minute. It's a curious little phrase. Call upon his name. What does it mean to call upon his name? Don't you think that's kind of an interesting sentence? Call upon his name. It means this. It means to call it forth or to summons forth. When we call upon the name of the Lord, we invite him by name right into our presence. That's important. But not only are we calling him into our presence, it also has to do with sending forth. To call upon and send his name ahead of us into whatever situation we may be involved in. Throughout Scripture, you find that God, His names reflect His character. His names really define who He is. He's Savior, He's Redeemer, He's Provider, Counselor, He is God Almighty. These are His names and His character. So when we summons Him by His name, it also sends Him forth into our circumstances in life. Here's 
maybe an easier example to grasp a hold of. I'll use myself as an example. Most people in this world know me by the name of Doug, but I can promise you I've been called many other things. <laughs> Most of the time, it's Doug. But there are a few people who do know me by a different name. There are two people on this planet, for instance, that know me by the name Dad. It's a great name, right? That name means different things in different phases of life, though. You know, when they're little bitty, you know, it, Dad means, it means protector and provider. And then they get older and they're, they're teenagers. And Dad, it means, you know, personal banker. And then... <laughs> Thought I'd get some amens on that. But as they get older, hopefully that name dad just comes to mean friend and, and counselor. That's what we ultimately want it to be. When they're 45, we don't want it to be personal banker still. Doesn't always work out that way, believe it. <laughs> but that's what we shoot for, right? Now we have that promise to... Grab a hold of it. When I was a kid, I was known by two different names. Uh, my dad knew me by two different names. He knew me by Doug or Knucklehead, depending on what I was up to at that particular time. You say, well, that was cruel. Eh, I'm telling you, I was a Knucklehead sometimes. Let me see your hand if you've ever been a Knucklehead. Now, see, we're all, we could all start a Knucklehead club. <laughs> I'm a Knucklehead. Once in a while, we'd all do stupid things, right? To Janet, my name is Hun. 99.9. Hun. Hun means a lot of things too, let me tell you. Most of the time, Hun means grantor of many favors. <laughs> because here's how it usually begins. Hun, could you do me a favor? How many of you know what I'm talking about? That word hun is generally perceived. Hun, can you, could you do me a favor? And that means mover of big heavy objects or a killer of spiders or any bug that has, you know, unruly entered our house when the sign outside specifically says no bugs allowed. <laughs> it can mean a lot of things, right? So when I hear her holler out hun, I know I'm being summoned by name. I'm being sent forth to accomplish a task for which I'm being summoned. Does that help the word picture become any clearer? When we call out upon the name of God, He knows He's being summoned for a purpose. And He's there for us. When we call upon the name of the Lord, we summons Him forth. Healer, I need you to come and I need some healing. Counselor, I need some wisdom right now, God. Defender, I need your protection. Prince of Peace, Lord, I need your assurance that things are going to be okay. When we call upon his name, we are worshiping him by saying, I need you in my life. So worship is about how we live all day long. It's not about the first 15 minutes of church service. Right? Amen? Worshiping, about, worshiping God is about singing our songs of praise to Him, but it's about so much more than that. It can't just stop there. It's about making decisions day in and day out that honor God instead of dishonoring God. That's worshiping Him. About being a good witness for God. 
If you are a lousy employee at work and you give your boss fits, you are not being a good worshiper of God. That made us all feel good, didn't it? Yeah, the truth a lot of times is a little painful to take if we're not used to maintaining the truth. Amen? How many of you glad you came this morning for this feel-good message? Yeah, that's true. Everything, you know, our life is a, we are a witness for God and our witness is all about our worship of Him. And if our boss thinks we are just a big weight on the company, all we do is collect a paycheck, but we really don't pull our weight, we don't do anything, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bad sign of our worship, overall worship of God. We, need to be, we should be good witnesses for Him in everything we do, right? We shouldn't be the worst employee. We should be the best employee or striving for it. It's all about calling on His name to summons Him into our everyday lives. And maybe you need, this morning, maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to call upon the name of the Lord because of a situation that you might be in. And by what name you call upon Him has a lot to do with where you're at in life. Maybe first and foremost, you need to call upon Him as Savior. That's the most important time that we need to call. If, if God is not our Savior, we need to be all about calling upon Him to be our Savior. He's ready and waiting. Like I said, His grace is always available. We just need to make ourselves available. So maybe you need to call upon Him as Redeemer. Maybe you've lost some things in life that's been stolen away from you, and you, you're calling upon Him to be your Redeemer. He'll, he'll help you. As Provider, you may need some provision in life. You don't have a clue how it's going to work out, but you can call upon Him as Provider, as Healer, Deliverer, Counselor, Comforter, Friend, Defender, and Prince of Peace. It's easy to get stressed out in this life, isn't it? I don't care what your job is. There's stress involved, right? I don't know of any jobs that don't involve any level of stress. They all do. Sometimes your boss can radically increase that level of stress depending on who they are, right? I thought I'd have a lot more amens on that. Well, I tell you, there's all sorts of things that cause stress in our life, and we need to be able to call upon the Prince of Peace. To just have that assurance that, you know what, things may seem lousy, but God, I understand and I believe you are in control. And you know why he's in control? Because you're placing him in control. It doesn't happen automatic. He will be in control if you'll place him in control. Amen? Before you leave today, worship the Lord. You don't have to rush out of here. Just for a few moments, worship the Lord by calling upon his name in one of these areas. Man, if everything is fantastic, just call upon him as friend and just thank him for all he's done in your life. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.